seven, six, five, three, two, one, zero, lift off. Hello and welcome to From Orbit, a podcast of the Space Law Council of Australia and New Zealand. I'm Joel Lisk and with me today is Daniel Jackson. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Joel Lisk. How are you going, Daniel? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. How are you? Great. And I'm pretty psyched for today's uh, episode. So today, we're going to bring you the first ever interview for From Orbit. So here at the Space Law Council of Australia and New Zealand, we get a lot of emails from students, um, existing lawyers, anyone and everyone asking about careers for lawyers in the space sector. Now, I think when I think about the space sector, I don't know about you, you, Daniel, but I never think about the lawyers. I think about the engineers and the rocket scientists and the aerospace engineers, the people whose job titles actually have space in them or space adjacent to them. But of course, that's not the full picture, is it? So we thought for those of you at home who are listening along or driving along or on the train, wherever you may be or whatever time you may be listening to this, we thought we'd kind of help appreciate the bigger picture. And today, to do that, we're joined by Robin Clay, who is the Head of Operations at Fleet Space Technologies. So we're going to bring you that interview right now. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Robin Clay, for joining us today. Uh, I'd love to kick us off. And would you be able to tell us and our listeners uh, in a couple of sentences what Fleet Space Technologies does? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me um, today. Um, Fleet Space Technologies is a leading Australian space company revolutionising space exploration, the defence industry and the search for critical minerals. Um, You may have recently seen that we were announced in the Australian Financial Review as Australia's fastest growing company. So not the fastest growing tech or space company, but Australia's fastest growing company, which is super exciting. Uh, We've been around since about 2015 and we were um, uh, co-founded by uh, Flavia Talanadini, who's our CEO and our Chief Exploration Officer, Matt Pearson. And since then, we've developed, launched and continue to operate one of Australia's largest satellite constellations. Um, In this year, uh, in May this year, we were uh, excited to announce that we closed a $50 million uh, Series C capital funding um, round to continue our global expansion, expansion, sorry, and scale up our mineral exploration technology. And although our head office is actually based in Adelaide, we have expanded internationally with offices in the US, Canada, Chile, and Luxembourg, which has really enabled us to grow our global talent um, to over, I think, 115 employees now with Fleet. One of the most exciting things um, that has um, happened to us recently is that we won the contract for the Australian Space Agency to land a variant of our seismic sensors um, on the moon to search for water deposits under the subsurface of the moon as part of the Moon to Mars initiative. So that is a super exciting project to be part of. Oh, wonderful. A lot of of exciting things happening at Fleet Space. Thanks Thanks so much for the summary, Robin. Big congratulations to you and the team for that listing in the AFR. When I saw that come through, I took it as a a victory for the whole space industry, the fact that we're on top um, against all of the other industries. So huge, huge congratulations there. Thank Um, you. I think diving onto onto you a little bit, Robin, um, so of course, as the Space Law Council, um, 
we have a lot of people asking us a lot of the time about how lawyers play into the space industry. So um, give us a bit of your background and kind of a bit of an insight into what your legal career was before you became the head of operations at Fleet. Sure. Um, when I was at uni, I was doing some work experience at Adelaide Bank and all I really wanted was to get a paid legal job. I think that's all we ever really wanted back when we were studying. And I remember asking the general te- the general counsel at the time if there were any roles available for me um, you know, in the bank. He did provide me with some really uh, sage advice in that if I wanted to be a successful lawyer in any industry, I should really start out by finding a job in a law firm which could provide me with that fantastic training ground uh, and that right support um, and learning systems. And that's effectively what I did. I started my legal career as a banking and finance and corporate and commercial lawyer at a private law firm called Finlayson's Lawyers in Adelaide. And that really helped, um, I guess, set up that framework for my legal foundations across a number of, of areas of expertise. After about five years in private practice, I decided I really wanted to spread my wings and apply um, my my legal knowledge across a broader area. Um, And this is when I rejoined Adelaide Bank. So I went back as much more skilled and knowledgeable in the law um, and as their in-house counsel. Um, And as you can probably tell, I'm a perpetual learner. So I spent the next 17 years in the bank, moving into lots of different legal and non-legal roles from risk to credit, to government relations, to policy and operations. And I think um, having that legal background really gives you some really good foundations to, you know, flex across different areas of an organisation. And then I guess after the 17 years, I really got to a point where I wanted to do something different in my life. Um, I'd always wanted to work in the space industry. However, back when I started my career, this really wasn't an option in Australia. If you wanted to be a space lawyer, you really needed to move you know, to a handful of cities in the US. Um, I had been actually following the trajectory of fleet. And so I decided to be brave and I loved my resume and a cover letter into our CEO's inbox. And eight days later, I had a job as general counsel. Wow. So that's, that's pretty amazing. The kind of, yeah. I'll say the, the confidence that the, 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 um, the diving into it like that, that must've been a bit of a, a freaky moment as well. I'm assuming going from a very, very large, heavily regulated regulated organization into a bit of a smaller I wouldn't say it was a startup at that point it was kind of in the scale-up phase um how did you kind of find the kind of the legal issues that really apply to that kind of sector was it going from you know no lots and lots of law in one sector into none in the other or is it a bit more nuanced than that um you know I, I guess when you are, are working you know in any industry um, you're regulated by different different areas and, and coming into fleet as a smaller organization um, you're actually really doing a lot of very similar things that you would in other in other um, industries so whether it's a, you know looking at some contracts um, advising on intellectual property dealing with any employment or, or HR activities you know the majority of of the role is is really agnostic to to whatever industry you're in you are dealing with the same issues of course there are some really niche um you know regulatory environments in the in the space industry depending on, on what you're dealing um with but um it wasn't as i guess daunting uh, as i thought it might be moving from the financial services industry into the space sector that's awesome that's great to hear robin it sounds like you've got quite the diversity of experience which i think a lot of a lot of lawyers really, really love and a lot of, I guess, employees in that sector would really appreciate. Um, I would love to dive a little bit more into 
um, your role as an in-house counsel and how maybe that differentiated from your time in legal practice at a commercial law firm? Sure. I guess as I touched on earlier, commercial law firms really have that infrastructure and the support tools to to set you up to being a successful lawyer. You have you know really experienced partners that you can call upon for guidance. You have all the databases and templates to help with researching and drafting, access to a really wide variety of clients and industries to advise on, and, and also that ability if you want to specialise in a specific area of law, um, if you want to, and, and have that support to, to do that on a consistent, regular basis. When you work in-house, um, and depending on whether you're in a large or a, a small uh, entity, you may not have that same scale of support. So, for example, I was often the only lawyer working in my area of expertise, which is immensely satisfying, as I had that ability to really work closely and collaboratively with my stakeholders but on the other hand this meant that the workload can sometimes get excessive at times because you have that limited ability to share the load with with other lawyers um, also we didn't have the same um, support tools and, and and databases and research tools which can be quite difficult so google does become you know your best friend sometimes in the in an in-house role and also relying you know heavily on external advice as well yeah so it's it guess it's not been too much different for you then in from the perspective and approach to your, your role at Fleet. It's been very, I'm assuming, very similar then to working in the bank. You've taken that that internal expertise, the ability to manage a, a wide variety of workloads and, and dealing directly with a stakeholder. Because I think many of us who worked in commercial practice are used to dealing with clients on a really quick and, and frequent manner in lots of different perspectives and dealing with uh, competing interests. So um, has there been a lot of difference working in-house in a space company as opposed to maybe working in-house in um, a bank, for example? Sure. I guess for all of us general counsels or lawyers who are, are listening in, you know, we are a curious bunch. We're usually jacks of all trades and we're really good at thinking widely across the board from both a legal risk and strategic perspective. And, and what I actually realised, as I mentioned before, is the majority of my, my role at Fleet actually taps into all of my previous experience. So it really is industry agnostic. Um, and when there is something that is outside of my expertise, I do have amazing support from my external law firms who provide me guidance and advice. But there are some aspects of my space-related legal role that isn't always available in, in other um, industries um, or companies. Things like, um, you know, cutting edge innovation. So the space industry is constantly pushing the boundaries of technology, which really presents an array of legal challenges and opportunities. And, and as a general counsel, you get to work with some of the brightest minds in science and engineering and, and help navigate those complex legal issues relating to satellite technology, space exploration and, and more. Um, the other area that I've had a lot more exposure at Fleet is that international international collaboration. So, um, you know, often the activities we're involved in involve international partnerships and collaborations. So, you know, working as a general counsel um, at Fleet, um, you know, I've had the chance to develop my skills in international law and negotiations. That can be really beneficial in lots of legal roles, you know, beyond the space industry. But, you know, some that I haven't had the opportunity to explore in my other roles previously. And I guess lastly, it's a fascinating work environment. So the space industry is filled with awe-inspiring projects and missions. So that can make 
you know, your work as a general counsel all that more exciting and fulfilling. So it's an industry that captivates the imagination and inspires passion among its professionals. And I'm, you know, really excited to be part of, you know, landing, you know, our first seismic sensor, Australia's first seismic sensor on the moon. And, you know, that is something that most people in the world uh, in other industries and, you know, can't, can't do. Cool. So there's a lot of different really intricate legal questions there. And I think for many people in private practice, they're probably used to dealing with clients in a really unique practice group. I think, you know, some of us like myself, we're regulatory lawyers. So we dealt with a really narrow, really narrow area of practice. So it must be really interesting working for Fleet, having to deal with lots of really narrow areas of practice, especially given it's kind of very forward focused um, technology and innovation. Because I can't imagine um, you were entirely across the beginning of your career, the, the intricacies of the International Telecommunications Union, um, ACMA filings, and then moving it into debris mitigation standards for um, the small satellites you're deploying, as well as import and export controls to get those same um, payloads all over the world. Um, how has it been to manage those kind of really unique and narrow areas of law um, coming from a more general um, in-house role? Sure. I mean, it has been it has been hard. Uh, like any any new learning, it involves a lot of reading. So I spend a lot of time reading articles, um, reading the legislation, attending seminars, um, tapping into our external partners. I mean, we don't have to be the experts um, as a general counsel in a space company. You need to just know enough about the intimate details of you know the contract you're negotiating or the you know the the business issues that you're working with your internal people on to be able to identify what the key things are and and where something is outside of my expertise or knowledge even after I've done some initial research I will reach out to you know our trusted partners that are dealing with this on a day-to-day basis so um, not all of the aspects that you've mentioned I will deal with on a regular basis so um, you know I, I will make sure that my expertise is utilized um, for those activities that are more business as usual or, or regular and, and lean into our expert advisors for those things that uh, or those nuanced advices that we need on a, on a case-by-case basis. So interesting to hear about. Hmm. I think I think what I'd love and I think what our listeners would be quite interested in is I know that your role has now changed to head of operations. I'd love to hear about how that role's changed and maybe if you could take us through what a day in the life of head of operations is like at Fleet Space. Absolutely. I mean, we, we see now that the skill sets that um, lawyers develop in their careers are really, truly um, transportable across all different um uh, roles within within companies and that's the best part I think about the, the legal training that I've had so um, I guess the best part of the role is now that I get to instruct the general counsel uh, rather than being the one that has to, to do all the work in the background so um, but in all seriousness my focus now is actually more aligned with that operational landscape of fleet and how we deliver that best customer experience through our exosphere solution uh, my attention really now gravitates towards optimizing processes enhancing efficiency and ensuring that seamless collaboration um, among our different departments. I'm still of a jack of all trades in my current role, so each day is is really different. So one day I can be presenting a strategic plan to my board of directors 
and the next day I can be in my hive-vis and my steel caps in the warehouse helping with some assembly work or out in the field digging holes and, and deploying our geodes. So for me, I really love that diverse aspect of my operations role, but at its heart, the skills that I have learned as a lawyer has really set me up to be a strategic thinker and a problem solver, which is really the key to success in, in, in this role. That's great. Great to know that uh, lawyers are required and have quite a good skill set and a varied skill set that's very relevant for the space industry. I think a lot of our listeners would be very, very excited to hear about that. Now, I think I might take a little diverge the path and maybe we chat a little bit about fleet, fleet space technologies and maybe the space industry a little bit more broadly. Um now, I'd love to ask what sort of challenges are Australian space companies like Fleet Space facing in our current environment? Sure. I mean, at Fleet, uh, we build technologies that are purpose-built to explore the worlds, including our own. So, our, you know, uh, our mantra is we are explore, explorers for the Earth, Moon and, and beyond. And from space exploration to defence, you know, our focus is on the search for critical uh, minerals and our seismic array technology and our satellite enabled solutions are really making those waves across a variety of sectors. But one of the big problems that we've been working on is um, combining our satellite connectivity and the latest advances in geophysics to help accelerate that world transition to renewable energy in the coming decades. And if you do follow the IMF's prediction, um, you know, we're going to need, you know, $13 trillion uh, US dollars worth of critical minerals for that energy transition to meet the net zero goals by 2040. So, you know, real large world problems trying to be solved, um, you know, through, we can solve through space. Yet the problem we have is the mineral exploration industry is facing several major, major challenges. So mining is becoming more difficult more expensive, discoveries are deeper and that global demand for critical minerals is intensifying. So for me, the biggest focus is minimising the environmental impact that mineral exploration has on our environment and how can we use space technology to be able to do that. Um, that's why Fleet has developed Exosphere, which is to accelerate that transition to renewable energy by providing that faster more sustainable and cost-effective solution for locating critical minerals needed to achieve those net um, zero targets. And so by leveraging the constellation of satellite and passive seismic methods, um, the exosphere technology is able to provide those actionable 3D velocity models in a matter of days rather than months. And so that really radically decreases the time it takes to locate a potential deposit. So it allows explorers, so the mineral exploration companies, to, to make really rapid on-site decisions, so including agile retargeting towards that um, um, promising uh, prospects, um, which will really reduce the time, resources, and that trial and error approach to discover those minerals. And so by radically reducing the time it takes for those exploration companies to locate potential deposits of minerals, that's really going to help the green transition and help the planet achieve its net zero ambitions in the coming decades. Wow, there's certainly a lot there, like for a small company doing a lot of different things across an incredibly important area. Um, it, it, must have been, it must be quite, um, on reflection, it must be quite interesting thinking about um, where you are now from where you probably were five or so years ago. I can't imagine you were thinking about talking about the interaction of geophysics and in, space exploration and minerals and critical resources kind of 
and in your role as in more of a legal or risk advisor, that's it must be quite um, I was like, humbling maybe to think about the kind of transition and what and the kind of work you're doing now. Yeah, it's immensely satisfying to be able to, I guess, work for a company where you're making a real world impact into sustainability. Um, and for me, you know, the re- one of the reasons I wanted to to join Fleet is. Um, I guess, for those ambitions to make the world a better place for not only us now, but for our children and grandchildren and and future generations. But for me also taking those ambitions and and making sure that we don't make the same mistakes on the moon or Mars going forward. So it's really critically important that what we do here on Earth is also replicated in the same sustainable way um, in space and and other um, and other bodies in, yeah. in space. I'm, I'm going to ask a bit of a dangerous question, um, and I think it's always a, da- a dangerous question when we talk about regulatory environments. But if if you could change one thing in the you know, in Australia's space regulatory environment for fleet, what would it be? This is a really good, really good question, and I think as we more move more towards us understanding that critical resources on the moon, Mars and beyond, it will be imperative to improve that regulatory environment about how those resources are mined and used for humanity as a whole. Uh, This is, you know, obviously a really critical thing for us because this is the industry um, and this is what our technology is aiming to achieve. So I think currently the existing UN treaties state that space isn't capable of being appropriated by countries or their private entities. And so, um, however, interest in exploiting space resources has increased and the moon agreement does contemplate you know possible you know future exploitation of those resources although there are only 18 countries including Australia that are party um, to that agreement at the moment so um, I think a goal of the UN committee is to encourage countries to pass domestic space laws that comply with international obligations and one of those fundamental principles of the outer space treaty is that exploration and use of outer space should be the benefit um, and for all uh, interests um, of all countries. So, of course, the use of space technology, sorry, of course, the use of space involves technology and concepts that don't yet exist firmly in reality. So for me, the fundamental treaty principles will also need to, um, you know, apply as, as they develop going forward. So uh, to complement this, I think with incoming technical and scientific data, Rules and frameworks may also need to be added to clarify, you know, any of those issues that do arise in in the in the uh, future. Yeah, so it's certainly an area that needs development, and I think it's one that our local regulator has on the radar in the next eighteen months. Um, I think it's watched this space with that one, but yeah. <laughs> Pardon the pun. It's inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, I think I think we might wrap this podcast up with a final question to we leave our leave our listeners with some hopes and some dreams of the space industry and robin would you be able to tell us what your hopes are for fleet space technologies and the australian space industry a little bit more broadly i do have really high hopes for the australian space industry and i do believe it holds you know, tremendous potential for growth, innovation and international collaboration. So, you know, I guess firstly, I hope to continue to see investment in research and development and fostering that culture of exploration and and discovery. Uh, The 
you know, investment can really pave the way for breakthrough technologies and advancements in space science. And um, that will not only benefit Australia, but also contribute to the global space exploration. So fleet exo exosphere technology is a really good example of this and, and how it can achieve such great um, benefits for humanity going forward. Um, I do also look forward to witnessing the continued expansion of the Australian space industry's commercial sector too. So, you know, as private companies become more involved, there is that opportunity for creation of jobs, economic growth, and establishing Australia as a key player in the global space economy. So I love to see the flourishing ecosystem of startups and enterprises that are really pushing the boundaries of what is possible in space technology um, and services on, on both the earth and, and in space and, and fleet is a really good example of that. Um, lastly, I hope to you know continue to see strong emphasis on, on sustainability and responsible safe practices as I've mentioned before. That's absolutely critical. And as the space industry grows, it's really crucial to prioritise the environmental considerations and, and space debris management, as we've talked about before, Joel. Um, Australia has that opportunity to really set a precedent for sustainable space exploration and ensuring that our activities in space contribute positively to that long-term health of the space envi environment. So by focusing on all of those aspects, I really believe Australia can play that significant role in shaping the future of space exploration and, and technology. That's a great response. It's it's nice to hear that someone in your position can kind of look down and see where the rest of the industry is at and still see quite a quite a positive uh, future for Australia and I guess the, the wider Asia-Pacific and broader space industry. Um, with that, thank you so much, Robin, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I think I think I've learned a lot today, um, and I'm sure Joel has too. Always, it's what the industry always. is all about: is learning Thank more and more as we as we talk to people and can understand their perspectives and viewpoints. And it's been great to have yours today. Thank you so much for for inviting me on your podcast. It's been a real pleasure. This has been from Orbit, a podcast of the Space Law Council of Australia and New Zealand. To learn more about the Space Law Council or to keep up with our activities, head over to our website, spacelawcouncilanz.com or follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thank you once again to Robin Clay for taking the time to speak to us. I think from my perspective at least, I don't know about you, Daniel, it was an incredibly insightful conversation. Yes, I think I got a lot out of it. She's had such a such a varied experiences throughout her career and to go from commercial legal practice to in-house at a non-space company to a space company. She's just got fantastic insights. And I was going to say, the conversation after we stopped recording, just it kept up going. We had an amazing conversation about the role of lawyers and the kind of skill sets and the, and the need for lawyers in this sector and how they can kind of develop. So I think a lovely conversation with an absolutely lovely person. Like She's taken a time out of her incredibly busy day, week, month, year, uh, decade probably to kind of give us the time to have a bit of a quick chat so thank you once again to Robin. Now if you're listening along to this podcast and you want to hear about something specific or you've got an idea of things you want to hear us talk about feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, the email address is fromorbit at spacelawcouncilanz.com. I can see Daniel with the eyebrows raised yep I created that email address very recently so it exists um, and it works. I have tested it. So that is from orbit at spacelawcouncilanz.com. So thank you for listening along today. 
Uh, we look forward to you joining us next time. I don't know what the content is just yet, but it will be something. So keep an eye out on your feeds. This has been a production of the Space Law Council of Australia and New Zealand. Head to www.spacelawcouncilanz.com to learn more. This content was produced on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander country. The SLCANZ recognises the first peoples of this nation and their ongoing cultural and spiritual connections to the lands, waters, seas, and skies.